0: Hello everybody and welcome to the American Shoreline podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show, and this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. A lot of people think the coolest coastal state in America is Hawaii, and they're probably not terribly off. They can be they can be debated. It can be. But I think it's got to be. And uh, we're going to get to go to Hawaii today and talk about some of the really interesting and innovative and forward-thinking approaches to uh, coastal shoreline management, particularly erosion. Uh, So, I'm really digging this opportunity to go over to Hawaii and and talk to uh, an
1: amazing guy. Jason Fox is the founder of Vetiver Farms Hawaii and as the name of his farm might make you think they focus on vetiver grass and if you haven't heard of vetiver and I actually hadn't until about a year ago if you're a friend of the pod you'll remember when my dad was talking about his his oh, yeah. new place in uh, Hilo, Hawaii, right, and that it had an erosion issue, which immediately got our interest, Peter. Yeah, very steep bluff, a, a steep bluff. It was a, a, a kind of a gnarly situation. It, it sounded very difficult when we looked at it on pictures. I was like, "Oh no, what's Dad gotten himself into?" But uh, he found uh, Jason Fox of Vetiver Farms Hawaii, who we are lucky enough to speak with today. And a year later, uh, I'll tell you, he's got some. They've they've completely redone the cliff face. Uh, and planted this vegetation all over it. Uh, We'll let Jason get into that. We look forward to this conversation. Uh, This is an innovative approach, ladies and gentlemen. This is a a new way of thinking about how to uh, manage erosion. And we're looking forward to it. But before we do, Peter, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at LJA.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the TheDuneScienceGroup.com. Jason Fox, thank
0: you for being on the American Shoreline Podcasts.
2: Oh, good to be here. I don't don't usually get uh, a lot of calls to be on podcasts. My pleasure.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, the reason we were interested, of course, we learned about you, as Tyler said, through his father's project on Hilo. Uh, But we have a community of listeners that includes a bunch of coastal engineers and shoreline planning professionals around the country and, in fact, around the world. And um, typically... uh, these are engineering problems, certainly largely true in America. And, uh, and we wanted to talk to you because you take approach an approach that I think is, uh, needs, people need to know more about. And, uh, wanted to know if you could, uh, could introduce us to Vitavir farms and what you've been up to over there on the big Island of Hawaii.
2: Vitavir is pretty complex. Like there's a lot of different applications, uh, I kind of got pretty into it on the buyer, buyer mediation aspect. Um, that was something that excited me, uh, that, but it kind of just turned out that there was a little bit more of a calling to stabilize a lot of these beachfront homes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we kind of ended up going down that route and, uh, going, you know, to Thailand and, uh, all the islands just kind of doing these beach restorations and uh, a lot, a lot of coastal plantings for sure.
1: So Jason, let's, t- t- let's back up just a little bit and, and help me understand how you're, you're one of several vetiver experts in the United States of America. Um, you might be the only one on the Island of Hawaii, maybe you would or on the, in the state of Hawaii. Uh, but how did you, how did you come across vetiver? Just what was your first encounter with it? And then how did you, how did this process, if you becoming an, an expert in this, uh, system of using this grass?
2: Um, uh, I guess just trial and error pretty much, you know, i just, um, I was, uh, farming taro and getting washed out by that, uh, by a seasonal stream and started using vetiver as a water diversion, huh. um, And then, uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know, just kind of 10 years of going around and planting the grass in different spots and just learning about it and kind of pushing its limits and seeing what it can do.
0: So you were a taro farmer, which many of our listeners, I'm sure, know what that is, but it's a Hawaiian, well, it's a South Pacific root food, which was part of the colonization of the Pacific Islands and. Yeah, this was what you could carry on the long canoe rides. You could bring taro, and right. I mean, yeah. well, tell me about about taro farming. What was that like?
2: Uh, we were just kind of trying to uh, eat and you know get something going on a piece of land that we leased. Um, so uh, yeah, just kind of doing something simple. And I was doing carpentry, uh, so just trying to make ends meet and kind of realized that discovered what vetiver does and then saw that nobody was really using it um in the way they could have because there's a ton of applications around the world um that people have been doing and you know what you would call third world places i guess um developing developing i knew there was a pc word for that <laughs> uh so yeah um So there was a huge foundation, you know, I didn't really, I just, what we did is just kind of marketed it and did a lot of research on what had already been established and then did a lot of trial and error to see, especially with coastal stuff, like how well it could work. Um, The soil, you know, cohesion uh, aspect of it was, it's uh, a little simpler. But doing the, you know, when you're dealing with the ocean, it's a little bit more dynamic. So that's something that's been fun to play with and just see, you know, how to do it and where to do it. Um, Like your dad's place is a 300-foot cliff on the ocean, which is, you know, a lot different than like a beach application. Um, So it's, it's kind of fun to just use different species and, you know, see what works and what doesn't. And, yeah, we just... Uh, we haven't really had too much. I've had a, I've had, I think I've had like two fails on the ocean. Um, when I was figuring out that you needed to kind of have a hedge in front of the vetiver to block some of the salt spray, um, and then kind of use, use gypsum to remediate some of the, uh, salt in the soil. Um, but once we started, you know, figuring that out and flushing it with uh, fresh water, we've been able to get the, you know, 12-foot root system on some of these beach properties. Wow.
0: So for the listeners out there, if you're able and you're at a computer, you should Google up Vetiver Farms Hawaii and click the, uh, click the photo tab because there's a picture of Jason and his team rappelling down a cliff. These Hawaiian cliffs that are collapsing and eroding are vertical I think you said the one at Tyler's dad's house. What did he say, 300 or 230? 230 feet high. He said 300. 300 feet high. So these guys ah, are rappelling down yeah. these cliffs and, wow. and and installing plants on the cliff face in order to prevent the collapse of the cliff. And uh, the, tr- the, the picture of the roots of this plant are incredible. It's just this, you know, amazing bundle of roots that is... F- you don't need to. Anyway, tell us about why this plant is so suited to handle what's got to be a really tough problem uh, vertical cliff faces on
2: the ocean. Uh, yeah, a lot of those places will put seashore past palm sod on some of those. Um, Vetiver is not really that ideal for a vertical cliff face. Right. Uh, a 70-degree slope is kind of, you know, what the studies that the International Vetiver Network has done with highways and such um, to as far as being able to uh, hold them up long-term. So on the, like, uh, the east-facing cliffs, like Tyler's dad's, uh, they don't get a lot of sun and there's a lot of vertical. So we'll uh, staple seashore past Palimsaad just because it's like a, can tolerate, you know, blasts of salt and uh, um, it's low growing. So it doesn't, because a lot of these landslides are happening from the tall trees that when the wind hits on their stress and stressing out the cohesion of the soil and they pull out. Um, So having low growing stuff is really important um, because the trees are like a tubular horizontal root system. Whereas uh, vetiver is gonna go just 12 feet straight down, and then the sod's just kind of something to block wind erosion and bringing life to the soil. You know, that's kind of the end game goal that ends up um, helping these properties out because you know it's dead, so it's falling away, and that's kind of gonna apply to pretty much you know any application. And when you plant the vetiver up top. Um, even like, uh, Tyler's, uh, dad's neighbor's house, I, th- I think it's, I think that cliff's more like 175 feet or so, but, yeah. um, uh, when we, you know, we put a bunch of rows up top, it starts to build a underground network of indigenous microorganisms and, uh, allows the water to go deeper into the soil. Um, so that's what's, you know, get, turning these sea horizon dead soils into something that's going to hold moisture that, you know, you can have like a Wadelia vine or uh, s- something else grow on and it's not going to fall away as easy. Um, there's actually like there's a person uh, in th- that little cove. We've done pretty much most of the houses on that entire uh you know, mile or two of, uh, um, and, and it's interesting to see, like I had one guy who was just like, no, I don't want the sod. I just want the vetiver. Um, and then his is kind of not working as well. Um, so just, yeah, I don't know. Taking moisture into account and depending on where you're at, uh, there's actually a vetiver planting on a beach in Galveston. I know you guys are based out in Austin. Um really? I don't, Yeah, I, there, there was a, I was just down there. My, my whole family's actually from Texas, uh, from Houston and Tyler area. Um, and I I was trying to find it. I didn't have any luck. I didn't really put a lot of energy into it, but there is somebody that I think sells vetiver. Um, and then there's one planting that's known, uh, through the vetiver network international that's on a beat on Galveston Bay.
1: Huh?
2: That was like, you know, I'm not sure if it's still, you know, this is information from like 15 years ago. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it is interesting because Vetiver is not I have a feeling that we might that we might actually all be passively familiar with Vetiver. Like you might drive maybe when you're driving on the freeway or you're passing by some like recent construction of an over ramp, you know, over overpass. I feel like I might have seen this or similar plants being used to stabilize that soil outside of like, not, not in Hawaii, like out in the regular old United States. Uh, but Jason, I just, you know, obviously, uh, you're kind of inventing as you go here. Um, each one of these cliff situations is unique. Um, you are, by this point, now that you're, you, the business has, has opened up and you're getting clients in this space, which I think is kind of an interesting little evolution, you're having lots of bites at the apple, but I kind of want to just go back a little bit further and learn a mo- little bit more about your who you are uh, and your approach as a farmer. As like, How did you get into farming? Uh, are you are you, what inspires your approach? Is it the, is, is it the natural world? Are you trying to mimic, you know, what I will sometimes hear from critics of vetiver is that, you know, well, it's a, it's a non-native, you know, you're, you're use, you're introducing a non-native grass. And I'd just like to get your thoughts on kind of all that, like where you came from and how you came to be uh, farmer. a farmer and specifically a, a, a specialist in, in, you know, in this specific vetiver
2: solution so it it isn't it's from india uh, sri lanka or india uh they say it's one of the oldest plants on earth and it's rated at negative eight um so it's has the lowest invasive invasive scale in hawaii which is you know an important thing and that's kind of why the usda brought it here because it doesn't spread um so we've used it a lot with uh We've done some pretty large plantings for the Navy and for other people where you use vetiver to establish native forest. Um, And that's kind of similar with that underground, you know, holding water and building, you know, nutrients deep within the soil and bringing them up especially in like rural areas. Um, the planting we did was Makaha Ridge. It's, uh, just like a super dry desert, you know, not many things can grow there, but that ever is kind of one of these ancient, you know, you can light it on fire and you can run it over with a tank, you know, it's used in the mining industry. It's just a really hardy old plant. Um, so yeah, I, that's I do. You know, get that sometimes from people. But once they educate themselves about its uses and how it's not invasive, they're stoked on it. Especially when they see the applications go hand in hand. Um, you know, using it with natives and stuff and. There's not, you know, there's no other plant that can absorb the levels of lead and uh, nitrogen and phosphate for uh, bioremediation purposes and like landfill leachates. Um, so it's a really complex grass as far as and it's uh, like Biloxi, uh, Mississippi has a, their landfill there is processed through whatever uh,
1: Coastal oh, City, all, yeah, well, okay. Biloxi.
2: <laughs> is it?
1: Yeah, it's right. Yeah, on the, it's right on the Gulf Coast.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they pump all their uh, leachate into a field to let the vetiver process it. And I think they save like, you know, some crazy amount of money just by using this natural method rather than, you know, trucking it it and whatnot. Um, So, yeah. And then as far as uh, I guess my backstory was just uh, I was kind of. You know, troubled kid or whatever. I, you know, kind of went on on my own when I was like 16 or 17, dropped out of high school. Um, and I ended up getting into farming, uh, maybe when I was like 20. Um, and then I started, uh, working for my buddy who had an aquarium business and studying like water qualities and getting more into invertebrates and nitrate levels and just kind of trying to grasp, you know, I, that's kind of what made me fall in love with vetiver was when I learned about its ability to suck up high nitrate levels, which are emitted from waste and, you know, fertilizers on golf courses and stuff like that. Because, um, like, in a fish tank, if you drop, you know, the smallest level of uh, nitrate, all the coral reefs will die, like, right away. Um, and then the fish will die like super high levels. But, uh, that was what gave me passion to kind of realize that I could, you know, kind of undo some of these infrastructure mistakes of the past, you know, using this plant and it just kind of all integrated well with, uh, you know, I ended up with this lease on this farmland out here when I was just kind of, um, uh, you know, cruising around figuring, figuring life out, you know, I was 25 or so. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, some of my backstory there. Um, so it's been interesting to like work with these engineers and stuff. And, you know, we have, uh, some pretty highly educated people that are, you know, agroecologists and, you know, uh, scientists and doctors that we work with. I'm kind of more of the application, um, you know, just experience side of it. Uh, and, yeah
0: in in that community of experts um, how do you think you are uh, received and are are you are you listened to do they understand the point of view that you bring to the table
2: um, yeah, like the Vetiver network international they're you know these guys have been traveling around the world for fifty years with USAID ah. and uh, all these different organizations and their, you know, doctors and their, they, these guys know plants and science, you know, more than anybody I've ever, you know, when you go to like the international vetiver conference, uh, that happens every, uh, three years, it's, it's awesome. There's just so much information that these, um, guys have. And I mean, they, they just look at me as somebody who's young and promoting, you know, something that they've known about for a long time and they're stoked on it. Uh, when I go into the room with engineers, it's a little tricky because I don't really have the language to, you know, I have to bounce back to uh, people on my team to kind of, right. you know, produce a little bit more information and numbers and things like that. Because, um, yeah, that's just not my forte.
0: Got it. It's uh It's it. You talked about, you know, the 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 engineers and the communication issues that come in with the specialized language of these professions. Uh, I wonder when you're talking to an owner or a client, whether it's the Navy or, you know, a town or whatever, um, in the early discussions, uh, is it typical that, that folks question the use of a plant as the response? Do you have to usually work through Oh, yeah. The option of concrete. Yeah. Can you talk about those conversations and how people come through those?
2: Well, they're usually coming to me because they can't afford the concrete. And they think that that's the solution. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's a,
0: hey, whatever gets them in the door.
2: It's yeah. I mean, that's uh, so. Um, concrete doesn't absorb wave energy. So when you have a lot of earthquakes in places like Hawaii or California, um, it cracks, um, and it's expensive. So 90% of the time, you know, vetiver is going to be a better option. Um, it's a grass, you have to maintain it somewhat, you know, it's pretty hardy if you install it Right. But – and it, it's going to do – it's synergistic with the environment. So all these fails that happen with concrete are happening because it's kind of like you're, you're, you know, you're putting two different forces together. You can't use concrete usually, you know, with uh, water, earthquakes, hurricanes. Like, right. you know, it's going to work for some period of time. But to have something that's, you know – you're gonna it's just this option of like working with the environment is definitely better but yeah I have to uh, once people get on the website and they see all the history and all the successful applications and like you know we had, we had the Tahiti Highway Department fly us over there to train their guys and you know where our company's pretty we're licensed and we're bonded and you know once they dive into the you know, the box check in things that, you know, people look for, um, then they're like, oh, okay, I guess this works. And then there's, they'll still be questionable sometimes until, you know, it actually has action on the, you know, site that we're, uh, working on. But yeah, I mean the guy two doors down from Tyler's dad's—he uh, must have called me four hundred times before we actually installed like <laughs> a couple rows. And he was cool as hell. He—he's from Louisiana. He actually mo- ended up moving back there. But he was just so you know and a, such a numbers guy. And he was like, I don't know, you know, he just couldn't trust that this plant was gonna hold up his mm-hmm. house on this giant cliff because he only—it's <laughs> yeah. <had probably>,
0: <laughs> a little scary
2: eight, you know, he is probably, uh, 15 feet a yard or something like that, where, um, you know, the son of like Tyler's dad has a bunch of yard, um, on most of the property, but, uh, <laughs> a corner. yeah, there's it's one a corner. corner, there's, a hot, one spot. Corner, a, there's corner. a hot spot that concrete would be applicable, but the permitting process for that is pretty elaborate and almost impossible. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we've been trying to slowly mitigate this weird little corner that and like the guy that asked all the questions, you know, I planted his thing out. Hurricane Lane came in and I had approached both neighbors prior and they both had giant landslides. And then the guy that had the whole planning, this place was fine. Um, And that happened on, I don't know, maybe like big hurricane lane hit big island really hard it was like 50 inches of rain or something like that in like a day or two and uh we had you know all of our plantings like test yeah i I was nervous as hell when it was happening but afterwards it was pretty cool that um you know one of the places uh, held up this house like a river came through and it like it blew out the concrete and i couldn't plant that ever where the concrete was So half the house, or not half the house, but one of the posts was hanging in the air because it, you know, because it had concrete in front of it. And then Mm -hmm. the rest of the house had vetiver in front of it. And it was, you know, so that guy was super stoked. And then we ended up building a berm afterwards in front of his house and then playing vetiver with it so that when that, if that flood ever comes again, it'll channel around his place because, you can use it as a water diversion, like kind of like a culvert as well. So there's, wow. it's just, I mean, the root system, we touch the plant, it's like a, yeah, you know, it's a really tight web that's, you know, hard as a brick at the top. And it's just, you can, there's so many different, that, it, you know, the water diversions and uh, landslides, and it's, it's, it's it's a, it's so, a weird one. Uh,
0: so when you were planning tarot in your early days in Hawaii and using vetiver to uh, redirect the water, uh, in heavy rains around your crop. Did you ever think you would be doing the same thing years later, but putting the <laughs> same beach houses? Cause you know, it's, it's kind of the same deal.
2: Um, no, nah, I, I don't know. I didn't really, I kind of knew that I had like, you know, nobody was really, there was one lady, uh, that was like messing with vetiver a little bit on Oahu when I started. And I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really, I knew that there was, you know, once I got on the vetiver.org site and saw what the plant does and read some of the papers and stuff. And I, I knew I had like a good business idea and like a cool, you know, alternative solution that like something as somebody not from Hawaii that I could like bring to the table that would help the island and, you know, be a positive thing. But I didn't really uh, anticipate it taking like 10 years to kind of take hold. So that was, um, so yeah, I was kind of just, you know, doing some plantings here and there, but it's probably only been like the last five years that we've been pretty, you know, just action all the time you know, doing plantings, you know. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're still, you know, we're not like a huge company, you know, but I mean, we're almost out of that, so. Um,
0: I wanted to mention permitting the use of concrete on these bluffs, as you said, very difficult to do. I'm curious about how the regulatory structure in Hawaii um, each of the islands is its own county, I think, and has its own kind of rules. I think I don't know you have to help us out, but yeah, what did yeah. how did they react when you started showing up?
2: um it depends what island you're on uh you don't have to perm get a permit to plant grass in your yard uh if you're accessing a shoreline that Um, You have to have a special permit to do anything within, I think it's 20 feet of the shoreline. Um, So sometimes, you know, we pulled those permits like in Maui because, you know, somebody just wanted to make sure they had it or whatever. And then like another time in Maui, I tried to pull the permit and they said, no, it won't work and i was like okay here's all this information you know and they had they had a, i don't know they really wanted to have these sandbags put in instead of the vetiver um so i don't know i guess that was bringing in i think it was a couple million dollar project whereas we were gonna do five thousand dollar planting for the marriott and kind of show every hotel and west maui that there's this cheap solution to you know build up a yeah. barrier so they canceled it and you know they said they'd fine us every day if we planted or something like that wow they, you know had to pull out of that that's,
0: that's pretty and aggressive
2: then, yeah and then all the sandbags ended up breaking um you know five years later or whatever right
0: uh, and they look so, like they look like hell I hate sandbags. Yeah.
2: They 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 totally do. It's such a stupid I mean I get it. People it's if you can bring in big boulders for like those kind of applications where you're having waves like North Shore Wahoo and stuff, that's great. Like it'll work. It's gonna cost a ton of money. But the sandbags there's is a super band aid approach that you know there is like I I, I will say like cement can be great for certain at like, instead of the same, like I was just, I'm in Oahu right now and it's totally shut down and all, but uh, we were out front of this hotel that was on the beach and the waves were hitting like maybe, you know, two, three feet down from their level, you know, like where, so if, if the, if it would rise a foot or two, it would flood their whole lobby. And they had a bunch of sandbags up there. I guess just they maybe do it like in uh, high high tide season for where I'm at is right now. Um, but yeah. Anyway,
0: uh, is that is that sounds like a really tough situation if the waves are that close to the lobby, uh, coming uh, um, probably impacting a hard surface. The sandbags is when you look at that. Do you think? vetiver could handle something like that no. it's, it's yeah kind of of that that's where you're saying that no. that's a good example of where you
1: do have to use concrete yeah
2: that's my cutoff point yeah. yeah
1: so jason would you uh tell us a bit about how you farm vetiver grass like what is the propagation method um and can maybe take us through you know where you'd start with i guess a a seedling, or a seed, or maybe a—I a, don't know how you do it. I don't. I honestly do not know. Yeah. A clipping so, or something. How do you do it?
2: It's not. Um, the reason it's not invasive is because there's no seeds. It's a. It's kind of you break off a stem. So it's this giant plant. That's about three feet wide. The mothers are, you know, the adults. And uh, kind of like the that. same. Yeah, that's what, yeah, so they're like lemongrass, so you, um, it's a, we call it like a plug or a slip. Um, trying to think of something on the mainland to compare it to, but, uh, like, because I don't think you guys grow lemongrass there.
1: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we can. I did grow some once for a season, and then it got killed.
2: Yeah, so it's, you know, there's no seeds, um, so we take these plugs that... It depends. When we grow our plants for oil, because um, that's a byproduct of the erosion stuff that I don't really prefer to waste a lot of time and energy into because it's not what I'm about with this plant. Um, but if we if we do that, we, we don't really that much anymore. I've been working with this other uh, tribe in Papua for oil stuff but uh, I, 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 when
0: I think I've I, I I read people, uh, the oils from the plant are an aromatic a therapeutic um, that kind of thing, right? When you talk about the oils from this
2: yeah. plant Yeah, yeah so. and they're, you know, It has a nice smell and it's cool you know, it's just that when, you, when you start getting into that the reason Haiti is so screwed up well, it's not the reason but the reason it's screwed up with vetiver is cause they have such an unfortunate situation there. And then people are like digging up these premature young plants and applications to like sell the roots for oil and stuff like that. And so it's, it's, I don't, I try not to just, you know, especially, yeah. but anyway, so when we farm the plant, we do everything organic. Like we're not certified, but we don't, you know, use anything, uh, synthetic or whatever and uh, usually we just lay down a lot of weed mat um, you know kill off the invasive you know mow everything down and then lay down some weed mat you know like 300 foot stretches at a time or whatever 300 by 12 and then just kind of you know plan it out with you know these plugs so you know I I started off with I don't know like 500 of them and we just we have like a ton like a couple (laughs) acres thousands now yeah, hundreds of thousands. Um, oh, okay. And then, so, yeah, we just keep flipping these mats, and you know, popping little plugs in the hole. And I prefer to use uh, plant sections or potted plants um, on like intense applications. Like I'm over here right now on Oahu doing a beach on North Shore uh, that's gonna get wave action. You know, this coming winter, so I'm using like these like when you, we excavate that mother plant, it's, you don't have to dig down 12 feet, but it's hard as heck to get out. And then we ax it up and, Hmm. and then like use quarters of that plant to, you know, install or sometimes like for shipping purposes. And if people aren't in a dire situation, we use these, uh, plugs that are just like, you know, also the single tiller ones okay. that we kind of use in the
0: farm. So when you, when you pull up, when you're going to harvest a mother plant and then chop it up and, you know, create it into individual things so you can install that, how many plants can you get out of? How many plugs can you get out of, a, a you know, a mother plant?
2: It depends how healthy it is and its age. Um, usually about after six months, maybe 30 and then after a year maybe you'll get 60 but huh. that's all gonna depend on um and that has 30 and 60 singles right but when you use you know when you quarter them up you know it's not really i shouldn't say quarter it's more like you probably probably get i don't know it's a, like seven or eight fist size clumps out of the mother plant,
1: you know. The okay, band. okay. I got a question. This is uh this this belongs on the on the farm. This question. It's a question about genetics. <laughs> are these all clones? Because they don't have see like are they all genetically clones of each other?
2: So this cultivar. So there's a couple cultivars of vetiver. This one is uh, Chrysopogon zizanioides. Is the Latin name. Um huh. its nickname is Sunshine because they rediscovered it in Sunshine, Louisiana. The Indian um slaves that were brought there by the French to farm sugarcane in the seventeen hundreds brought it. So that's how the wow. USDA got introduced to it and then I got my first starts from the plant material center on Molokai uh and went from there. Um they brought it here in like nine nineteen ninety three, I think. Uh, after they did like a year to make sure that none of the seeds sprouted. Cause there is some cultivars. In Asia, so you have to make sure that your person that you're getting your vetiver from is involved with the Vetiver Network International and has like legit – like when I was doing this beach stabilization in Thailand, the guy – I'm like, hey, it's got to be this cultivar. And the guy showed up with this other one called Nemoralis. It You can tell the difference if you worked with the plant yeah. for 10 years, but it's – it doesn't have the same root system and it has seeds that are, uh can propagate so that is so, uh,
0: uh, this is why it has a rating of 8 as an invasive um the lowest yeah. risk right, because it doesn't doesn't produce seeds
2: yeah so yeah to answer your question they are all clones i guess you could say
1: yeah Wow. That is very cool.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, you know, on the website, there's a really good, and, and again, if y'all haven't, uh, looked it up, it's vetiverfarmshawaii.com. Um, but the, the list of projects is really impressive and you've done this work for a decade now. Uh, when you look back, how does it work and, uh, have you changed how you're using it, uh, compared to when what it was when you started.
2: Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got it dialed in now, thank thankfully. We did some stupid time wasting stuff for a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's hear um, let's hear about this evolution of your approach.
2: Uh, I don't yeah, I never I just like how to clear the space and prep it properly, like what plant is going to affect it in a couple years. Um, what soil types matter, what fertilizer works best, what, you know, what the annual rainfall is going to do, how much shade it can tolerate. Like there's just all these different variables that once you are like, okay, you know, this is how, you know, and now it's just kind of, it's it's still like I had one I've, I've only had one job that actually I was at yesterday that had an issue out of pretty much all of our installations and it was because of the quarantine thing I wasn't allowed to come over here to touch it and I just planted it right before it happened so I had to you know wait two months and it needed kind of it was kind of in a situation where it had more shade than it needed and uh you know or like never likes full sun it can handle for 40 sun but if it's in 40 percent sun you gotta really be on top of like an invasive vine and you gotta give it extra attention and it's just like a whole different thorough kind of thing we used to like lay down like plastic weed mat on our jobs in the beginning um i remember at one point we would even like poke holes in them and like plant into that yeah and then it was kind of like dude we're you know playing hundreds of thousands of these things we're gonna just freaking you know put plastic all over the islands it's like that's not the play right so we switched that out pretty quick and then just started really figuring out like how you know how can we grow this on in these remote areas and have them be maintained as least as possible without using weed mat and so, yeah, I mean, that's really been the evolution is just a commitment. kind of understanding how to get these things to kick butt and not have to go to the people's house all the time right. to maintain it. Because sometimes, you know, like on the, the first year or two, it's usually just that first year. You just got to be on it and you got to have us come or use, you know, it, somebody who knows. It's usually, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of. I've seen a lot of people. It's just because it's not like grass, and I think it's grass. It's just I've seen a lot of people screw it up when our crew doesn't maintain it for that first six months, you know. But in some, you know, just if you don't have a green thumb, but there's a lot of people like I was at this eighty-year-old guy's house yesterday. It was just awesome, and he had his stuff looking so cherry, and you know, he's just you know knew how to take wow. care of it or whatever. But, um, yeah, so I guess that has been the evolution. And then learning how to deal with, like, the, you know, books and licensing and, uh, right. you know, how Run of the to business. Want, yeah, just that whole kind of side of it, which I have, like, a really awesome uh, bookkeeper, thankfully. Yeah, know. no kidding. Uh, we we and need to. Our install trick is we have these, like, our, our two main guys are just. They're so, you know, our, our crew is just such a. I've really, I, that was like the biggest evolution is finding people that were really down for the cause, saw the, you know, value in it for like, you know, sinking carbon, bioremediation, landslide prevention, whatever, the environmental benefits. And then they're passionate about it and willing to like, you know, hang on these cliffs and sweat your, you know, mm. neck off. And
0: <laughs> yeah, you can say that. Yeah,
1: it's a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I don't
2: know. And so that's been the biggest blessing is having like people that are passionate and believe in it, and they're you know going out there and you know helping us. That's got to be.
0: That's got to be incredibly satisfying to do that and to build a company and to and to find the people and to build a team that's as good as you've got. It's got to be satisfying as hell.
2: And I, I think a part of the attribute of people who are into entrepreneurial things is not being satisfied. Mm. Um, but I guess, yeah, I appreciate you saying that and I'll try to like, uh, do the, yeah, remember that, <laughs> but I definitely want to like, we haven't, we did the Lanai landfill, but we haven't, we haven't broken through as many of these, uh, my mindsets that i would have liked to at this point um tell us about
0: tell us us about that educate us about about, you know what else you have on your it sounds
1: like yeah the next step in the future what are you what's your objective where are you headed
2: well just the like the hilo landfill drains through Hawaiian homelands into the beaches where we all swim and I can't get them to plant. I think I even offered to do it for free at one point. I'm over it now, but uh, planting the bottom of the landfill so all that landfill leachate seepage the lead mercury cadmium selenium, zinc those are heavy metals that better absorbs and arsenic there's a lot of, there's a lot of lead in our soil and arsenic and uh, all the firing ranges like we had a job before we had our contractor's license that got canceled because of the other bitter protested us cuz we didn't have our license but they were going to plant the Ukamahame firing range in Maui Because Michigan State did a study on lead absorption with vetiver like five, six years ago. It's been known for a while, but it was like a, you know, big college that, you know, showed that it is going to lock up, like, I forget the percentage in the root systems, so it won't travel into waterways. So, yeah, I, like, we're doing these, you know, we're holding in these expensive homes and stuff on the ocean and all that, which is cool i guess but i want to see the infrastructure of the you know communities using it for bioremediation and, and contaminant um control and we run into it all the time like they they found lead in 18 of our schools on big island or something like a bunch of because all the lead paint was coming off and going into the soil and the kids were getting sick and like autism and shit from, you know, playing in this freaking lead soil. So that's kind of the ability of the plant. Like it's being used a lot in landslide protection and, you know, cause that's where the value is seen right now, but maybe who knows, you know, everything's obviously changing a lot right now with, you know, how we're doing things and uh, maybe we'll have the opportunity to take notes from the developing countries that have used, that ever for wastewater treatment and landfill leachate absorption for, you know, the last 50 years or we know about. Wow.
0: So there's a lot to do. And, um, yeah, unfortunately the, yeah, I was going to ask you what you think is the source of the resistance, but, you know, I think everybody knows the answer to that. When you come in with something like this, that's, that's different. That's, that changes, you know how and who does what. Uh,
1: can I can I add yeah. something to that yeah. though? And I would just love to. On this note, Jason, it's it's from Asia. This grass is from Sri Asia, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, um, yeah. and this method. I mean, i I'm, I'm being I'm I'm just painting with a broad. Stupid brush ladies and gentlemen So don't <laughs> sue me Don't cancel me This is not a litigious show <laughs> No it's not But you know it's eastern It's kind of an eastern philosophy here Of uh, using grass And bending You know this this Notion of bending to nature Uh, As opposed to concrete, which is like a rigid Western philosophy, okay, linear way of thinking. And um, I think that like when you approach this shit, there's like an early on decision that you have to make like immediately. Which way am I going? Am I going to go the... Fork in the road. The Western or am I going to go this Eastern way? And I know with my dad, like he went, he looked at the bill, kind of like you said, I think (laughs) Jason... The cost and the permitting structure, you can't get a permit. Like in order for him to get a permit to build a concrete structure there, it would have been, they could have said no. I mean, they could have just denied it. You could have done all the engineering work and gotten all the blueprints and they can be like, no, we're not going to allow you to armor your shoreline there, sir. High risk, high cost. And Hawaii is moving away from armoring shorelines or they're trying to, that's my understanding. And, uh, so instead he, he was forced down this other way, which actually Jason, I got to say, he's had a ton of fun working with you guys and he loves the way he loves the project, man. I don't know if you can tell. Now that's a good commercial. It is. I know it was unsolicited. Uh, this is unsolicited <laughs> and, and this is honest. Actually, this is the second one. Cause you know, we did the show last Memorial day, but anyway, Jason, uh,
2: Oh, yeah, he texts me at like seven in the morning sometimes. <laughs> so, what do you think that one's, you know, how's it going to work over here or whatever? I'm like, oh, man, all right. He's excited about it. He gets yeah, excited. He's, got this, he's got this corner that's like, it's precarious. It's a tricky one. And we're doing all we can do with it, but we will, really won't know how well. I mean my, my crew when they walked on that site they were like dude no nah, this is sketch and <laughs> they've said that before too and it's been fun to watch the managers be like, Oh, okay, it will work like
0: getting a little foothold.
2: Yeah, it just takes a while to be like, Oh, you know, it's just that what it can but yeah, I hope that, that corner I mean I hope his, so his house isn't, it's not gonna fall in, you know. We we locked up that whole place where it's it's literally a very small portion if it, if it did fall it wouldn't be a disaster and I yeah. don't think it's gonna fall
0: sounds like a successful
1: effort well uh, and it, yeah talk about making lemons out of lemonade I mean I I don't know what literally you saved you saved my dad <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking but purchasing this property with an obvious just major red flag but you know what he is having a ton of fun and he got a big discount. Obviously he got a really good price for yeah. it. Yeah. That's his uh yeah. <laughs> that's his, that was his whole thinking. But um yeah. he's having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's
2: been uh yeah, it's fun to Yeah, I I'm trying to get every house on that street. We got like one or two left, so it's cool. I'm gonna drone shot the whole that whole area yeah. and
1: just, Okay. Well that, and that brings me I know we're coming up on an hour here. Ladies and gentlemen, but we would be remiss if we did not talk to Jason about just general Hawaiian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like, what it, what is it like to be? I mean, we're out here in the middle of Texas. Uh, tell, and I know that it's hot, and you you guys are working, and it's not bullshit when you're out there. But uh, Hawaii is a pretty sweet place. Tell. What's what's life like out there in uh, on the Big Island? I, I guess you're near Hilo, just a little north of Hilo. So what's it what's it like over there?
2: Um, it's it's changing. Uh, you know, when I first came to Big Island like 15 years ago, it was a little quieter. Uh, so Hilo's getting a little more busy and such. But I'm outside of it, and we're on a pretty big uh, farm lot. Um, but I actually just got a new neighbor, and the cops came for me shooting. Um, you know, it, it used to be a lot more country, and you could kind of uh, have a little bit more, um, you know, noise and such. But I was probably, I was just sighting stuff in. And so, yeah, it's quiet. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like to hunt a lot. Um, the wild pigs, they eat my sheep, and I run, like, I got 20 head of sheep.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. The wild pigs come in and eat your
2: sheep. The, the lambs, yeah. Oh wow, that's a, yeah. that's wild. So if I don't stay on top of you know trapping and hunting the pigs, they'll eat all my you know, pit lambs. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, that's a little game that I play and I do that whole thing and, um, yeah, and I like have chickens and ducks and turkeys and, uh, we actually just started this cool project with, uh, trying to emulate the moanalo, which is this, uh, bird that went extinct that they never really had pictures of. Um, and my good friend Gideon, uh, initiated this project to see if, uh, it'll control invasive species. So he fenced off, um, like a half acre and planted, uh, all native species, all like Koa and Mamaki tea and Ohia and Hibiscus, all these things that are, uh, um, just native to Hawaii. Um, and then he brought in a hundred pound, uh, African salkata tortoise, which is similar to this ground bird that went extinct. And then he brought in these geese um, to see if, uh, and it, so far, like six months in, it's working and these all these natives are growing. So anyway, that's part of our farm life is like, you know, we're doing random cool little, you know. Experimenting. You know, stuff. Yeah, just. And, it's like Jefferson you know, well, said, you know,
1: the Jeffersonian American experience. Oh, yeah.
2: <clears throat> yeah, inventive. He
0: trusted the farmers, yeah. the landowners, uh, the agrarian life. He thought that was the way to live the most moral life, was to be a farmer. That's right. Tom's Jefferson. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing something cool and very special. It sounds like an amazing lifestyle. And what's really uh, great, and this is true when you find something that you're doing that absolutely matches up with what your soul and your value is about, it's just, you know, it's just open season on things that can be great. And it sounds like Jason, the alignment for you on this is pretty damn good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. I, I would say too, that, um, a lot of people like are like, Oh, you know, they have they paint this picture of like homesteading and, um, You know, like once you're there, there's a big draw for that right now, especially with all the crap, with, you know, going on with the economy and all that stuff and the pandemic. Um, but you know, as being somebody who's been homesteading and living like this for, I, this isn't my, I, it's, you know, it's for a long time. Um, and I think that it's it's great it's cool to have not have a footprint on nature but I think like having a good healthy like emotional family and friend environment within your community is the most important thing and even if you're in like a city or anything you can still support awesome stuff that's not impacting the land right. and being real smart about that too cuz like you know I I've seen like you know, things made out of like cotton from China that are saying support hemp, you know, like just right. weird, like, yeah. you, you, you know, but there's all, you know, CSAs. Like, I used to work for a community supported agriculture, and we had such a, you know, we all lived in a town, and then the farm was outside of town, all our pollution and stuff was consolidated and processed and you know the town we lived in and then you know everybody came and picked up their vegetables out on the farmland and that's a model that works too and I you know I don't know if the model that I have been doing is actually like one that's good to you know for everybody and for like piece lots of land I think it's kind of like you know I'm sure you guys have heard that uh you know stance of like cities that you know can be you know better for the environment if they're done properly and um clean and you know we in america haven't really had too many uh good examples Not of that yet. but like japan's and you know like japan iceland are pretty damn smart their their infrastructure is pretty clean and pretty awesome um, and it's not, hmm. it's, it's all high tech, you know, it's
0: not. I like see what you're kind of saying. So this, this whole notion of romanticizing this lifestyle and the homesteading and, 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 the appeal of all that, what you're saying is that, you know, the impact of that is it takes a lot of land to do this. And, you know, it, it kind of draws into question that, you know, the sort of the ethical boundaries here are 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 not clear, you know,
1: can, can I, it's a little to, more complex. And also it's really easy to romanticize the lifestyle when it's being piped into your right. brain through Instagram in beautiful photographs. And, and a, it's a, it's a, a dishonest depiction of what uh, life really is like for all, for all interpretations, but that one included. And, um, Jason, I think that's a good point. Uh and that you know, I you, you think about all of the expertise it takes to like live off the grid footprint wise, managing your waste, food sp- 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 supply, hunting, trapping, yeah. work Yeah, are you going to have electricity? It. Where are you going to get that from? I mean, all, all of this stuff to think about it. And um there is a from a just managing people perspective if you can aggregate them together. And get them to on an efficient grid system makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but Jason, I think I got I got to say on behalf of all of the people
0: who do romanticize this, yeah. and think it. I mean, come on, just between me and you though, it's damn cool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you can kind of yeah. get why people, you know.
2: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, when you come, when I came here from Philly, you know, I had lived in the freaking shittiest cities and you know, Buffalo like next to train tracks and crap. And just, it, it's beautiful. It's lush, you know, there's moisture. Like that's why I fell in love with the tropics cuz I just love the, you know, right. the it, the climate. Um, you know, it feels different, but I, you know, it would be just as stoked, like hanging out with my granddad and Tyler, you know, like I, I just, I think that, you know, during the, the quarantine and the shutdown, that was something that, you know, I was like, shit, I got everything I got, you know, I don't need to leave, I can stay here for years. And, and, you know, everybody else is kind of tripping out, and not knowing what's going on. Right. But then after like a month or two, I'm like, oh, but I'm by myself. I'm like, you know, I don't, so that was just, that hit home a lot for me, like, you know, just, you know, which maybe it'll change. And that's, you know, because if I ever have a wife and, you know, kids or something like that, but, um, but it, it is cool. I wish that, you know, you could build like log cabins and not, um, you know, have to do the, like the way people are building houses now too, like, yeah. Yeah, that's not the, that, that's not the move. There's just so much room and, and maybe this, you know, pandemic can be an opportunity to like get more into vetiver and like growing lumber for like log cabins and, yeah. you know, using sustainable houses more in in certain areas that aren't, you know, cities or something you know i don't know there's a lot of opportunity but to do that it has to be collaboration and i think that's where your guys gift is really like i would never in a million years start a podcast and (laughs) you know talk to people like that's just not my thing you know like i don't i this is the most i've talked to anybody in a very long time (laughs) (laughs) so i appreciate it it's you know i you know i god bless your guys gift on that i appreciate that because that's cool and that's i think the only Only real hope for like, kind of my trip, and you know if we're gonna feel hopeful about um, you know some kind of ships. You know, a lot of ways it's definitely collaboration, and you know setting aside what the heck anybody thinks about you know red or blue or black or white, and just kind of like trying to move forward with uh, you know like hey, let's you know work on some cool shit so that you know people are. More comfortable, and then, and then the earth doesn't like catch on fire, or whatever the hell is. Wow.
0: that is absolutely stunningly said, um, Jason. Thanks a lot, and uh, we are really glad you were in the mood to talk because I think it was—it's great to share the passion and and the importance of what you're doing uh, with people uh, because it, it gives us a chance to get better. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Jason Fox, the founder of Vidavir Firms, Hawaii on the Big Island. Uh, what an incredible journey and what incredible work uh, you're doing out there! We really want to thank you for being on the American Trail on podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for. Uh, yeah.